House of Cards is brought to you by BorgataCasino.com, now in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Gain access to the most exciting casino games when you join Borgata online. Sign up with promo code FLASH21 at BorgataCasino.com and receive a first deposit bonus up to $1,000 and $20 free when you register. Play the best online casino games at Borgata online. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to House of Cards. Today, the game is different. I want to gamble. Gambling is a very serious business. Is that clear? Welcome to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you here, deep from the swamps of Jersey. We've got a great show coming up for you. Gambling has been around since this country has started, and women have played an important role in the growth of the gambling industry. And now a new book has documented the role women have played in the gambling business of this country. It's called That Expletive Broad, and it's written by gaming attorney Jennifer Gaynor. Coming up, we're on Talk with Jennifer about the early female pioneers of gambling in this country all the way up to the present day. It's an incredible book about the women in the world of gambling and casinos. So stick around. We'll be right back with House of Cards. During these difficult times, we understand how important it is to stay healthy and safe. With so many of us confined to our homes and not being able to work, we feel the financial burden more than ever. Many folks lost their jobs and businesses. Others were furloughed and some are working from home at reduced pay. Keeping up with your bills is not easy under these circumstances. If you have credit card debt and cannot keep up with your monthly payments, we at Debt Fix Pros are here to help. Give us a call to see how we can reduce your interest rates and lower your monthly payments. Protect your credit and let us help you find a solution that fits your needs. We, your friends at Debt Fix Pros, are here to help. Let us take care of your credit card debt so you can focus on what is really important. Call for a free phone consultation at 800-919-6011. 800-919-6011. That's 800-919-6011. 800-919-6011. United we stand. You're listening to the House of Cards. Lose track of time in those casinos. There's no windows, there's no clocks, and you never walk away from the table when you're on a heater. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. Gambling has been a part of this country since it was founded, and women have played a crucial role in the growth of gambling. A great new book has documented the stories of some of these incredible women that broke barriers and helped shape the gambling business today. The book is titled That Expletive Broad, and we want to talk to the author right now, gaming attorney Jennifer Gaynor. Jennifer, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Dave. I got to tell you, first, I love the title of your book, That Expletive Broad. How did that become <laughs> the title of your book? Uh, That's actually one of my favorite stories about the book. So as I was uh, researching the various women uh, that I was going to feature in the book, one of them named Deborah Nutt, um, she was one of the first uh, women to be a craft dealer on the Las Vegas Strip. And at a very early age, um, she became a pit boss 
at, at a trip casino, and some of the gentlemen that she worked with were less than thrilled that she was there. <laughs> um, and so they would refer to her as that blank bride, um, something that, you know, for a while was a bit of a challenge for her. She actually hid in the ladies' room during, you know, break time to avoid seeing these men in the break room. But eventually she went on, like I said, to become a very young pit boss. And then she went on to be, uh, you know, a top executive for MGM in the win um, and had a stunning career in, in the gaming industry. You know, I, I've never read a book like this, and it was so great to read about the women in gambling. I mean, it, what inspired you to write this book? Um, well, as you know, I've been a gaming attorney here in Las Vegas for more than 15 years. Um, and, you know, year after year, you go to the gaming conferences. I know you've been there. Sure. Um, and you see lots of what we call manals. Um, and that's, you know, panels uh, consisting mostly of men. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I was at a gaming conference a couple of years ago. And, you know, I was flipping through, looking at what our panels would be that day. And I saw manal after manal. And, you know, it was a little bit disheartening. But then I I looked around the room and I saw some amazing women in gaming, women like Sandra Douglas Morgan, um, who was then the chair of the Nevada Gaming Control Board, Uh, my good friend Ellen Whittemore, um, who is now general counsel at the WIN. And I realized there was a lot of kick-ass women in that room. Um, And there had been throughout the history of gaming, and I really wanted to make sure that their stories were, were told and shared. You know, I I think it's great how you organized your book, too. You took us from the early days of gambling through corporate America and then with the women who worked in government and regulation. I I especially love the story of the women in the early days of gambling because I have to admit, when I think of the Wild West and the card rooms west of the Mississippi, I really don't think of women in the gambling business. Uh, But there were several. I mean, for example, you have the story of Lottie Denno, who was incredibly interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about Lottie and some of the other women who were literally the real pioneers of women in gambling in this country. Yeah, Lottie, you know, she was a great story. So she was, you know, she had a very privileged childhood upbringing. Um, you know, her, her father was a plantation owner and he also raised race horses. Um, but he had two daughters. He had no sons. So when he went on business trips, he would take Lottie with him often. And he was a gambler. So he would take her with him to the casinos and New Orleans, New York, even over in Europe. Um, and along the way, he taught her how to play. So she actually, at a very young age, um, you know, as a teenager, became a bit of a card shark. Um, and this actually came in super handy for her uh, when her father, unfortunately, uh, perished. He was um, fighting in the Civil War, and he actually died, I think, in the first battle he fought in. Um, so that left her mother with two daughters in a plantation to run. Um, at a time when it was hard to, you know, find men to come in and work on their plantation. Um, so her family sent her off uh, to the city, to, to Detroit, uh, hoping that where they had family friends, hoping that she could find a man to marry who she could then bring back and could run the plantation for the family. Um, but, of course, that's not what Lottie did. Uh, she went to Detroit. She got a, you know, went on the party circuit. <laughs> And then she started gambling at, at card rooms and playing poker and realized that she could make a lot of money doing that, um, actually enough money that she was able to support her mother and her sister um, with the proceeds she won from gambling. Uh, and then she went on to you know, have a very stellar career in the, the gambling industry. 
You know, another part of the book I found really enlightening because I, I've really never thought of it that way were the women who actually owned casinos. And one of those inspirational stories you document was the incredible life of Sarah Ann Knight Preddy. I mean, tell us a little bit about her because she impacted Las Vegas. She impacted the gambling business and she was really influential even outside of the gambling business. She was Sarah and I pretty, um, you know, she's a very inspirational figure here in Las Vegas, especially in the African American uh, community. You know, she started off as a, the dealer in the, the card rooms in the segregated West side of Las Vegas. Um, and I actually really enjoyed getting the opportunity to write about the West side and how Las Vegas, you know, once upon a time was segregated. So you would have, you know, famous uh, African-Americans who could perform on the Strip, but they couldn't stay in the Strip casinos. Um, so there was actually a really active after-party nightlife on the West Side where a lot of these performers, you know, African-American and white alike would come and, and spend their time after hours, you know, gambling in the, the casinos and the, the gaming parlors on the West Side. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. See you on the other side. Are you paying too much for your health insurance? Are your deductibles too high? Or are you completely uninsured? If you answered yes to any of these questions, Healthcare Help Desk can help you now when people need help the most. Health insurance laws and rules have changed. If you have Obamacare, are uninsured, or your premiums are too high, call Healthcare Help Desk. It's free. New healthcare plans are available, and you may qualify for dental coverage and lower copays and deductibles. Make the free call now. Top quality coverage at the lowest prices anywhere. You may be paying too much and not even know it. In these troubled times, health care is more important than ever. Don't let another day go by without health insurance. Policies are being offered with very low copays and deductibles. So if you're uninsured, underinsured, or paying too much, call Health Care Help Desk. 800-329-7906. 800-329-7906. You're listening to House of Cards. Where was the house? Where was the house of cards? Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishuttle with you here. House of Cards is brought to you by Drizzly, your online liquor store. Available in over 95 cities across North America, Drizzly offers a huge selection and competitive pricing with a side of personalized content. Now there's no need to leave the house. Get alcohol delivered in less than an hour by Drizzly. Head on over to drizzly.com and order today. And now get $5 off your first order of $20 or more when using promo code DRINK19 at checkout. Shop beer, wine, and liquor with drizzly.com. For those of you just joining us, I am talking with gaming attorney and author of That Expletive Broad, Jennifer Gaynor. Sorry about that. Radio has to do with business, you know. Why don't you continue what you were saying before the break? Um, but anyway, that's where uh, she started off working uh, in the gaming industry because it was a very difficult time for her as a, as a black woman to find, you know, a career elsewhere in Las Vegas where it was segregated. Um and she went on to become the first woman to get a gaming license in the state of Nevada. And 
you know, she took that experience and she became involved with the NAACP um, and, you know, civil rights groups in, in Las Vegas and through across Nevada. And she did a lot to advance um, African-American people. You know, for, for one, she ran for office. You know, she was the first uh, female African-American to, to win a primary running for city council in Las Vegas. She ended up not winning. Uh, she went out of politics, decided it wasn't for her, and she went back to, you know, what she knew, which was gaming and running other businesses. Uh, you know, she was quite an entrepreneur um, and quite an inspiration for many. You know, I, I found that uh, that aspect incredibly interesting. I, I was wondering, I mean, was it just the prejudice of Nevada at that time to keep her away from certain areas of the gaming business, or were, was it the laws of Nevada really keeping the women, especially Sarah Ann, down? Because, you know, she wasn't allowed to work certain places, yet she was allowed to have a casino license, and she owned a casino. What, what was going on there? Um, well, that was in northern Nevada, mm-hmm. you know, versus in Las Vegas, where there there were various rules and ordinances. You know, for example, they uh, after she had become a, a dealer, they came up with an ordinance, you know, prohibiting women from being dealers in, in strip casinos in the city of Las Vegas. And, you know, that was, I, I think, prompted because a lot of, you know, women at the time, they saw their men going off to casinos and gambling um, and if there were female dealers, they were afraid they would lead the men astray and tempt them to gamble even more and perhaps cheat on them. So, you know, women as dealers, women in the casinos working, you know, were very much frowned upon uh, by society. So that was something that she had to overcome in addition to, you know, the general segregation of Las Vegas at the time. It seems that one of the areas in the casino and gambling business that women are underrepresented is at the executive level. But there are women who did achieve incredible success at the executive level. I mean, one of the women I was thinking of and you documented in the book was Virginia McDowell. Tell us a little something about her and the other women that have reached very successful levels in the gambling business at the executive level. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, I found one thing I found interesting while I was writing this book was, you know, I think in a lot of cases, it was never an intention, you know, to become a, an executive in the gaming industry. Um, you know, Virginia McDowell, for example, she started off, you know, as a journalism student um, working in, in radio and, and television. Um, but then she saw that gaming was introduced in, you know, your hometown, New Jersey, um, and wanted to get involved in the industry at the very beginning. So she sent out, because she had become an expert in, in marketing and, you know, TV and radio, uh, and that was her, her major in college with journalism. Uh, she was attractive to marketing directors at, at gaming properties. I believe it was the Tropicana. And, and they hired her to do marketing. And that's how she got into the, the gaming industry. Um, but she ended up uh, meeting some men along the way who were really mentors to her and taught her a lot about the actual operational side of gaming Um and, and brought her along, you know, one of the first major things she did was taking over a struggling gaming company, Argosy Gaming, and, and turning it around. And I think one of the ways she was able to do that was she had a very hands-on approach. So she would go down to the casino floor, she would talk to customers, she would, you know, be very interested in what they liked, what they didn't like, what they wanted to see, and, and found ways to really make it a better experience for customers, um, and thus made, you know, casinos more successful. Um, and someone who knew her from her time at Argosy, 
when the Isle of Capri uh, position, um, CEO position became available, you know, uh, really lobbied for her to be interviewed for the position because they knew you know, what a great job she could do. Um, and that's how that came to be about. You know, I, I was reading that expose abroad, your great book, uh, here in New Jersey at the perfect <laughs> time, I think, because the big story that broke about a month, month and a half ago was that Caesars Entertainment named Jacqueline Gray, senior vice president and general manager of the Tropicana Casino in Atlantic City. Now, with that hire, mm-hmm. it means that four of the nine Atlantic City casinos were run by women, the other three being Melanie Johnson, the Borgata, Terry Glebaki at Ocean Resort and Carrie Hall at Bally's. And that really made me think because I, I was reading that section when I saw the news story break and I was thinking, I was like, is New Jersey doing well in comparison to other states that have casinos? Is, In your opinion, is that ratio of percentage keeping pace with other gaming markets across the country? Oh, certainly. You know, I think that's, you know, great strides being made in, in New Jersey right now. Um, but, you know, this time with the pandemic, it's actually been a very challenging time sure. for women um, in the workforce generally, in the gaming industry in particular, um, where, you know, gaming and hospitality is one of the industries that was very hard hit by the pandemic. Um, and you look at some of the, the news stories coming out, uh, talking about how this is having a uh, outsized impact on women, that they're, you know, leaving the workforce at, you know, four times the rate that men are. Um, so this makes it a very important time for women to be having these executive roles in the gaming industry and really keeping um keeping a hold of the progress that women have made in, in the gaming industry, you know, to become these executives. Uh, but we also have to be very careful that we don't lose women at all levels of gaming because, you know, you're not going to be able to have women in these executive roles if you don't have the pipeline at the lower levels um, leading up to that. Uh, so, you know, I think this is a, a great time for, for this book and the, the messages in the book about the importance of women in the gaming industry um, and for gaming companies needs to really pay attention you know to make sure they're continuing to feed that pipeline well i'm curious you mentioned it i mean are there gaming companies right now doing more to promote women and diversity in the workplace especially at the executive level um there definitely are uh you know gaming companies that are working very hard to do that and some of that is you know prompted by some of the women in my book um you know who have become executives and and are doing a lot to to help women um and you know the global gaming women organization, I think, has played a very important role in promoting that throughout the years. Um, you know, MGM's always had a, uh, you know, they took an early stance and Caesars as well and making sure that this was a priority for them. Uh, you know, you see places like, you know, the Win, where, you know, they were kind of in a lot of trouble when it came to, you know, misogyny and how women were treated in that workforce not that long ago, as we all famously know, um, you know, with the cases against uh, Steve Wynn, and they've had a major turnaround in their representation of women on their board, um, you know, and putting Ellen Whittemore, uh, choosing her to be the uh, general counsel for the win. So, you know, there's definitely uh, companies in Las Vegas and in the gaming industry that are doing really good things in this area. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. See you on the other side.
Free stuff is awesome. But free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, BABE16, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code BABE16. That's BABE16 because without it, no free stuff. That's BABE16 at adamandeve.com. Hey, this is Dave Weishaddle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of June 7th, 2021. According to the latest figures from the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement, Atlantic City casinos reported profits of more than triple the amount from this time last year. Garden State Casinos brought in more than $95 million in the first quarter of 2021. MGM's Borgata Casino led all properties with more than $29 million in revenue, an increase of more than 28% from this time last year. Governor Ned Lamont signed into law Connecticut's gambling expansion bill, allowing not only sports betting, but online gaming in the state. The new gaming compact made Connecticut one of only a handful of states in this country to allow online gaming. The state compacts still require federal approval from the United States Department of the Interior. And finally, for the first time in North American history, a sporting event was played in an arena that contained a sports book. The William Hill Sportsbook inside the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. took bets while the playoff game between the Washington Wizards and the Philadelphia 76ers was played. The 18,000-square-foot space has 20 betting windows, a dozen betting kiosks, and will be open 365 days a year. Great news from Washington, D.C. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. House of Cards is brought to you by BorgataCasino.com, now in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Gain access to the most exciting casino games when you join Borgata online. Sign up with promo code FLASH21 at BorgataCasino.com and receive a first deposit bonus up to $1,000 and $20 free when you register. Play the best online casino games at Borgata Online. You're listening to the House of Cards. Whoa! I think we got a show. Oh, yeah, we got a show. We definitely got a show. Oh, yeah, there's a show. Hey, it's all about ratings, baby, and we got them. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you here. For those of you just joining us, I am talking with gaming attorney and author of That Expletive Broad, Jennifer Gaynor. You know, I want to ask you about the women who became the regulators who oversee the gambling activity in the state. And the one person I was going to bring up, you actually already brought up, Sandra Douglas Morgan. I, I found it amazing that a woman with such incredible knowledge of the gaming industry and gaming law, when the governor of Nevada called her up to be chair of the Nevada Gaming Control Board, she thought he was calling her to ask about the retirement of another board member, which I found that an absolutely mind-blowing story. I mean, tell us a little bit about Sandra Douglas Morgan. 
Uh, she's incredibly smart, incredibly polished, but, um, you know, one of the most modest people I've ever met. You know, when I actually initially approached her at a Global Gaming Women event um, to interview her for the book, uh, she was like, me, are you sure? She's like, I've only been here for less than a year. You know, I haven't accomplished that much. And I had to tell her, you know, standard just by virtue of being the chair of the gaming control board, you know, the second female and the first African-American chair of the board, um, you know, just by being you and being in that position, you've accomplished quite a lot uh, for, for women in the gaming industry. Um, but, yeah, and then, you know, when I was when I was interviewing her, you know, she was talking about how, you know, she really preferred getting involved in the, the operation of being the board chair and, and the policy of it. Um, and, you know, I pointed out how important it was um, for me personally as a woman in the industry to see her speaking at gaming conferences and, you know, to see her up there um, as, as a role model and someone that, you know, women could aspire to be was extremely important. And she said, you know, I really never thought about that, you know, how important it was for me to be there to be in the room, to be up there speaking. Um, so she said, you know, I'm going to make sure that I, I focus on doing that um, a lot more because throughout her experience, you know, she had had um, uh, women, you know, at the MGM that she worked with, for example, uh, who were inspirational role models and, and positions and executive positions that she could look up to. And, you know, she brought up the quote, you know, you have to see it to, to be it. Um, and I think that's very true. Uh, plus, you know, she had a, a great background, not only in, in gaming, but she went through what she called trial by fire uh, when she was working as counsel for the city of North Las Vegas, and they were having, you know, one of their worst fiscal crises ever. And she helped, you know, work with the governor, work with the mayor of the city and, and shepherding the city through, you know, what was a time of crisis um, to turn things around and become, you know, very successful a city, you know, put it on a road to success. So, and she's pointed out, you know, after going through that at the city of Las Vegas, you know, that was really my trial by fire. Um, she overcome, overcame in her own life and career what is known as imposter syndrome. And I think that's something that women suffer from a, a lot more than men. Um, and that's, you know, thinking that you're not qualified to be there. You know, you look around, you're like, why am I here? What do I know? Do I know anything? Um, and, you know, going through that experience really helped her to overcome that and, and have a lot more confidence moving forward, um, which also helped her to uh, be a great chair. You know, when we talk about the gambling industry, I mean, there are, are a bunch of branches within the industry itself. I mean, there's PR, there's player development, there's marketing. Are there areas in the gambling industry itself where women are really underrepresented to a point where companies should really be focusing on that area with regard to employment of women? Sure, because, you know, if you look at the, the numbers, and this is something I talk about in my book, you know, where there might be, you know, 38% of women represent at the executive level, but you realize they're siloed into certain categories. Um, for example, you, know, you don't see a lot of women on the operational side. You don't see a lot of women on the floor. You don't see a lot of women in IT or security, you know, or where you do see a lot of women are areas that are typically thought of as women industries like human resources and, and marketing. Um, so, you know, and I, I point out in the book, you know, for, for women, for themselves, taking a, 
a whole of their careers, you know, one of the things they can do is look for areas where there aren't, uh, where there isn't a lot of representation uh, by women and ask, you know, their bosses to get them training in that area or to get experience in those areas. Um, and that's something that companies can, you know, really look for and try to encourage as well. You know, right now in the gambling industry, certain states are allowing sports betting and online gambling. I mean, certainly we don't have the complete numbers and the research right now with regard to employment demographics. But do you think those are the next areas of gambling that have to be looked at with regard to women and their impact on the sector of that sector of the industry? Well, I think those are, you know, obviously growth areas for the industry. So it's, you know, extremely important for, for women to be involved there. You know, sports betting in particular has you know, long time, very much been a man's world. Yeah. So, you know, when you see women making uh, strides and being represented there, like uh, my friend Jennifer Roberts is, you know, counsel at the Interactive Gaming over at the Win. Um, you know, I think that's very exciting, and you hope to see more of that. Looking back at the women you documented in your book, That Expletive Broad, Throughout history of the gambling in this country, has there been one characteristic that all these women had that allowed them to push forward in what was once a male-dominated industry? Because I, I found it very interesting, and you brought this up in the interview, that you know they did not set out to finally end up do what they're doing. I, I mean, a, a lot of the women and most of the women didn't think, hey, I'm going to own a casino. But what, what characteristic pushed them forward? Uh, I, I think in most cases, it's a few things, but, uh, you know, one of it is they were all extremely hardworking. Um, you know, they were willing to put in the, the hours and the time. You know, I think Claudine Williams, um, who was a high school dropout, who ended up becoming the owner and operator of a Las Vegas Strip Casino. Um, you know, that's not a path you would ever seen happening. But she she worked really hard. She was very persistent. She asked for what she wanted. You know, for example... Uh, you know, when she was a, a teenager, she convinced the the, the owner at a, a nearby you know gaming parlor that had opened up uh, to hire her, um, and you know, and and said that she, she had experience with uh, dealing dice, which she didn't really, but you know, he he, he bought it and and brought her on. She became the first female dealer at that club, and that's you know something she did throughout her career. Is, you know, she wasn't afraid to ask for what she wanted. She worked really hard to gain the experience and the knowledge that would make her um, a valuable asset. Um, so, you know, persistence, uh, curiosity, I think, you know, about the gaming industry and really wanting to to do it, you know, love for the game. The, the early women, you know, Alice Ivers, Lottie Dino, they loved gambling. They loved poker. They loved playing. And they were very successful at it. So, you know, it's... It's love for the game, it's love for the industry, it's persistence, and it's the willingness to be a first um, in an area, to be the first woman to be a dealer, to be, you know, perhaps not get a great reception from your colleagues. Um, that was very important to many of their success. Now, you're a very successful woman in the gambling business. What has it meant for you personally to research and write about the women who have come before you in this industry? Uh, well, first of all, it was incredibly inspiring um, you know, because I knew there were great women out there, you know, many of whom I knew personally, you know, from my own experience working in the industry, um, to learn about some of the other women who I didn't know about, um, extremely inspirational for me in, in writing this book. Um, but also, you know, it's a really great 
networking tool, I have to say. You know, if there are uh, people that you look up to in, in the work world and you're not sure how to approach them, you know what, if you're going to interview them for an article or a book, that's a great tool. You know, it gets you a conversation. It gets you an introduction. Um, you know, I highly recommend it. Jennifer, we're running out of time, but I certainly want to get your opinion on the current state of the gambling industry with regard to the pandemic. Certainly, it's been one of the most challenging times for the industry. I mean, I got to tell you, as a fellow gaming attorney, I've never before now had to draft a service contract for the cleaning and sanitizing of casino chips, but it's a very weird time. How do you see the gambling? <laughs> how do you see the gambling industry emerging from this? Um, I think it's going to emerge stronger than ever. Uh, you know, the gambling industry, as you know, over the years has gone through, you know, many different changes and iterations from, you know, kind of the lounges and, and the card playing that was prevalent, you know, back in the 50s and the early days uh, to, you know, the, the onslaught of the large slot floors um, that really became the moneymaker for casinos in more recent years. And I think we're going to see a change away from that. And, you know, what exactly that will be, I don't know, will it be esports, will it be online gaming? Um, you know, different kinds of experiences that casinos can bring to the table. I, I think all of it's, you know, really worth exploring. And sports betting, of course, you know, now that past has been repealed, um, you know, that's only going to continue growing across the country. So, uh, you know, I think the gaming industry, you know, it's, it's a dark time now. It's a difficult time now. But I think there's a, you know, blue sky on the other side of the pandemic. Jennifer, can you tell people how they can get a copy of your book, That Expletive Broad? And if you have a website or a social media address, you can give that out, too. Sure. You can find me on uh, Facebook at Jennifer Gaynor or LinkedIn um, at Jennifer Gaynor. And the book is available on Amazon.com and, and Barnes & Noble. So if you just uh, Google That Expletive Broad, you will be able to find it online. Jennifer Gaynor, attorney and author of That Expletive Broad. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing the stories of these incredible women of gambling with us. It's an incredible book about the gambling industry. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. Stick around. We'll be right back with more House of Cards. You know, ever since the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision lifting the national ban on sports betting, the gambling landscape of the country is changing on a daily basis. So how do you keep up with all the latest news and developments? How do you know what each state is doing? You go to the one site that has all the information you need to stay ahead of the game, and that site is usbets.com. That's usbets.com. Written by the leading experts in the gambling industry, all you'll need is one visit to usbets.com, and you'll see why it's the number one gambling magazine in the USA. With usbets.com, you'll get up-to-date information on not just the sports betting scene, but also the latest news and notes on the entire gaming industry all across the country. It's not just one state, it's all of them in one spot. Stay in the loop and stay on top of your game. Get the latest news on sports betting and gambling from the country's number one gambling magazine. Get on over to usbets.com. That's usbets.com. You're listening to House of Cards. The answer is probably uh, we're finished. What, we're what, given, what are the we're given odds? Very, One in a hundred? What, what? Uh, I don't do odds. We would. I gave very you ran detailed. You casinos, sir. 
Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishada with you. You know, sports betting has become popular in the U.S., and people want to know what's going on in the sports books across this country. So back by popular demand, executive producer Doug Weishada is back with the book report to tell us what's going on in the sports books across the country. Doug, what do you got? And welcome to this week's edition of the book report, where we're going to be talking about what's going on in the world of the sports betting industry in terms of the sports books, sports betting reports, both national and state, legislative uh, updates, as well as uh, deal updates. And we've got a bunch to talk about. We've got state and national reports, as usual. We've got the uh, a lot of legislation, Arizona, Connecticut, Florida, some updates there. Um, even uh, Canada has an update for legislation. And even off- uh, Connecticut. And Connecticut. Unbelievable. <laughs> See, there's a whole bunch of stuff yeah. going on. Uh, even There's even stuff with Louisiana, some other states, too. Uh, launches, we've got a couple of different things to talk about, and a bunch of deals as well, especially a, a very interesting one done by FanDuel. Uh, let's start with a couple launches, because I think the Washington, D.C. area just uh, did a little history. Yeah, no, sports betting history was made last weekend. It was the... First time a sporting event was held in an arena or stadium that had an actual sports book in it, uh, the Capital Capital One Arena. A couple of days before the game, the William Hill Sportsbook opened up in the arena, and that was actually in the, I want to get this right, it used to be what everyone knew as the Green Turtle. It was a sports bar in there. The There's arena. actually a green turtle in northern New Jersey, so uh, I'm, I'm not sure how far that uh, sports bar chain goes, but there was one in New Jersey. There is one in New Jersey. So. Well, there, this was an 18,000-square-foot venue. It's going to be open 365 days a year. It's not just game day. Good, good. Which is nice to see. A lot, a lot of uh, legislation wanted certain in-arena uh, sports books to be only on game days, You know, especially in the early stages of legislative formation but this will be opened up uh, year round good, good. Uh, they're going to have uh, 20 betting windows as well as uh, about a dozen or so self-serve kiosks and this was the actual first time in united states history actually north american history that a sporting event happened at a book like this i think we're going to start seeing this more and more i hope so yeah. i know with arizona and uh, maryland uh, they've got legislation on the books and they're going to be having the sports uh, betting sites within the some of the teams' arenas. Great, actually, even golf courses too. Yeah, probably. Start getting into yeah. it. Uh, going over to some of the numbers, uh, we talked earlier about uh, what's going on nationally with Nevada and New Jersey taking the lead from Nevada in terms of national sports betting handle. But Nevada, and this came about when Nevada released their April numbers. Uh, Nevada had a handle of four hundred fifty-seven point eight million, a revenue of twenty-seven point two four million. And a amount in taxes of $1.84 million. Again, Nevada, for people who aren't familiar with Nevada, they have the uh, re- uh, regulation in place where it's in-person registration. Yeah, what, what that means is uh, if you sign up for an online sports book, you have to finish your registration at the actual physical sports book. Right, so. and... Of the twenty-seven million, it's a ridiculous rule. I'm not sure what you know. It's, I, yeah, it's of there course to they help want the traffic and the they, they want people through the doors. I get it. I understand. You walk through the door, you're going to play your slot machines, maybe a table game. But yeah, you know, I understand why. But you know, yeah, for convenience of people. Well, that, that's that's the that's the idea behind the in person. Illinois just reinstated it not too long ago, about maybe two months ago. 
But uh, mobile generated seven, just under $18 million of the $27 million revenues. So mobile is getting, again, popular. Once, once people have it, you know, people start doing the mobile betting wherever they're at. They're in a restaurant somewhere. They're, sure, you know, sure. they're home or out somewhere with the kids. I mean, family. the the in person registration isn't too much of a burden if you're near, if you're near Las Vegas or if you're near Reno. But if you're out in the outskirts of Nevada somewhere, you know, what, what are you going to drive down to Las Vegas or Reno, a couple hour drive to finish your registration or for Henderson or whatever? Yeah, something like yeah, that. It's, so. it's one of those things where. Yeah. And also, if you're hiking in the mountains in Nevada, Nevada's huge for mountains. So you're not well, going no, to be I'm able just to pay, living. You're going to be able to do it while you're hiking. That's what the mobile allows you to do. If they didn't have their registration, if you wanted to do a registration in the mountains, you could do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's the point. If if you if you're next to a an actual physical sports book, it's it's easier for you to complete your registration. Yep. Uh, uh, West Virginia and New Hampshire and Tennessee all reported their numbers. Um, it's interesting. West Virginia had twenty a twenty eight million dollar handle in the month of April, which was the slowest month since July of 2020, which was a pandemic month. Well, like I said, April's a tough month. You know, there's a, you know, after looking at March and the huge numbers in March, you know, April is always kind of a letdown. Well, you have to be um, mentally prepared to look at the numbers from April. It's, it's one of those things where a lot of times you're looking at April, depending on what state it is, because there's a lot of different things going on. I know some states allow betting on spring football, and uh, there's all different types of events, but April is almost, I guess, I don't want to say a dead month, but there's a lot it's of... It's a slower month. It also depends on the state. I mean, if you're a college basketball or college football state where the, that's your heavy betting, you're going to have a lower month anyway yeah, because sure. there's none of that going on. Um, let's see. Over in West Virginia, the Greenbrier was the leader in handle, $12.4 million. Now, Greenbrier is the private... I'm always shocked with that. You know, that's the um, I, I, I don't I've never been to the Greenbrier, but I know it's considered a one of the uh, you know, air quotes private sports books where you either you know, have to be a guest at the Greenbrier. You just can't walk off the street and go into the Greenbrier. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, they uh, they led the uh, state because they're also partnered with uh, two of the big ones, FanDuel and BetMGM. Mm-hmm. They actually partnered with two of the three big ones. Good. And they brought in $12.4 million in handle. Uh, let's see. Both FanDuel and BetMGM came in around 94% of that total. So not a lot of actual retail betting going on at the Cream Briar itself. Uh, Colorado. Let's skip over to there. They they released their... Uh, they, re- they have a press, press release, and I thought it was kind of interesting. They were touting the total amount of... Taxes collected from the first year of sports betting. Okay. $6.6 million. Wow, that's great. Well, it's great on its face, but what they had promised in terms of anticipated tax revenue in the first uh, year, I think it was like twice that amount or maybe three you know, times that amount. But we went through a pandemic. So, you know, you got well, to view, view those numbers in, in that in, in that kind of sphere of, well, you, you uh, also remember, of the environment there. Colorado has online and online they were like 98 percent online all the way through the pandemic anyway i mean Mm -hmm. a lot of sports weren't going on but i bring up colorado right now because they uh they released the top sports for the year and your favorite sport made the top five top five really table table tennis right you're talking about table tennis table tennis top five really 
table tennis, uh, let's see, in, in the month of April brought in $8.7 million. Wow. In handle. Table tennis for the first year, $99.98 million in handle. Wow. So there is a table tennis segment of the population that I guess lives in Colorado. I, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm, I, I, hey, good. <laughs> whatever makes you happy. Whatever, uh, whatever uh, thing you uh, like. I, I'm looking at some of the uh, sports books here in New Jersey. I'm looking see if anyone have a table tennis market here. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing a lot of table tennis right now, but, you know. Well, uh, I, I just Colorado and Oregon just mystify me with table tennis. Yeah, Both wow. of them are huge table tennis markets. Um, Tennessee uh, ranked fourth in the nation in terms of state sports betting revenue, almost sixteen million dollars in taxes over the past five months. Hmm. So, given the fact that Colorado took in what did I just say six million dollars, six point six million in the first year, Tennessee brought in. Uh, sixteen million. Wow. Okay. So, by the way, table tennis. I'm looking at uh, BetMGM. They, have, uh, BetMGM in New Jersey have table tennis. They okay. also have snooker. <laughs> Snooker's so, fun to watch. I guess. Yeah, I didn't uh, know they had snooker. One difference between Tennessee and Colorado, though, I have to point out, Tennessee has a twenty percent tax rate. Okay. So uh, they uh, they tax like crazy up there, or down there, I should say. And New Hampshire threw out their numbers for April, $46.7 million handle. That's down 16% from March, but 1,100% increase from the last year at that time, April of 2020. But, you well, know. It, it, yeah, sports are back. The yep. uh, I, I don't want to say the pandemic's over, but we're starting to get out of it. So, um, you know, people are out there. People are betting, and sports. a lot of sports are out there. It was their lowest monthly total since November of 2020. Okay. So, uh, you know, 37.4%, uh, 34, 37.4 million of the total handle was mobile. 9.3 million was retail. They had 3.3 million in revenue. Again, increase of almost 1,100% or just over 1,100% from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Sports betting, they released also their year-to-date. Sports betting for the nine months at the end of April, 32 million. 26 of that was online. Five was retail. That's the uh, revenue and the handle of $439 million during the nine-month period with 376 spent on mobile. So okay. their mobile industry, which is DraftKings. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of an indication of what New York's going to look like, I think. I, I, let, let me tell you something about New Hampshire in the wintertime. It is freezing up there. And, you know, mobile anything up in New Hampshire in January and February is a good thing. So, uh, you know, mobile is should do very, very well in the future in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a couple other launches to talk about. We have Bally's launching BallyBet in Colorado. Colorado. The one so thing- what I'm hearing is they're going to have three more states. Uh, have they announced the three more states or three more jurisdictions, I should say? No, but you got, you got to think New Jersey is one of them. Well, yeah, New Jersey. They have one of my favorite retail sports books in Atlantic City, and that was um, that was the book. Them. It that was, was called the book. I'm not quite sure what it's called right now, but it well, was. Bally's has a FanDuel sports book now. Yeah. So yes, uh, yes, yes. So, so yeah. So the my favorite one that used to be Bally's it's still Caesar's. is it's now the, Caesars. It's Caesars, but Bally's now has a new face uh, FanDuel. FanDuel retail sport. book. Retail book. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, Esports Entertainment Group got their gaming license approved for the from New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. So they are going to be moving forward with launching their esports betting platform, Great. as well as a sports betting platform in, in New Jersey. We'll see exactly how long that takes to go. Uh, let's see, Indiana. I, f- I found this interesting. Not only did they add the NBA draft lottery to the approved events for sports betting, they just added the match. Great, good. They didn't have the match last year. I would have thought they would have had the match before this, or unless what they do is they take it on, they take and it off. And when we talk about the match, we, of course, are talking about the uh, golf tournament. With uh, This year it's Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson against Aaron Rodgers and Bryson DeChambeau, and right. it's up in Montana, and it's the most fun thing that you could bet on all year. I love watching it. I love betting on it, and uh, it's, well, it's a, I, lot, I, a lot of I was, fun. I was actually waiting for DraftKings to throw DeChambeau into that because they're one of the sponsors of the match, okay. and that's their sponsored player. So it'll, it'll be fun to see exactly where where this one goes. Last year's was, was good. I think uh, – the one with uh, Barkley commentating instead of playing was better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, um, no, no, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Penn National just uh, got cleared by the Gaming Commission of Maryland to operate Hollywood Casino Perryville, which means you're going to see Barstool Sportsbooks in Maryland. Great, soon. great. I'm still waiting for a Barstool in New Jersey. So well, uh, they haven't partnered with anybody yet. So. Well, Penn National, and they uh, Penn- isn't that um, Freehold. Yeah, they haven't. They, they haven't, haven't done really anything no, right they, now in Freehold. They, but, they have uh, parks. They have parks there. Yeah, uh, Freehold has parks, but it's also part. Uh, Penn National is part owner of that, so I think a lot of people were hoping that maybe Barstool would do something there. But uh, I guess we're still waiting. California finally has gotten their sports betting initiative on the November twenty 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 two ballot. Okay, so. They're gonna. This has been years now. They've it's, been. It's still gonna be years. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, there, there's what do we a, have a year and a half to wait to, for it to be in the ballot. Huh? Well, you, you got to remember that there's a segment that, where they're, they're doing the recall of the governor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a segment of the legislative uh, a, a branches that want to see if they can get sports betting included into that recall election, all that stuff. So I don't know. Maybe there's something there with that, but. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be kind of fun to watch to see exactly the legislative side of both Florida and California work work themselves out there. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see where California ends up. I I really don't see them getting it quicker than no, no, 2023, no, no. No. to be honest with you. Earliest a year. Uh, Canada is moving forward on their single-event sports betting bills. Uh, Bill C-218, which is what it's called, it's the Safe and Regulated Sports Betting Act. It went through the second reading in the Senate. Now it's going to the Standing Senate Committee on Banking, Trade, and Commerce. Okay. If it makes it through there, it will receive royal assent and become law. And Great. they'll just start being able to offer single-event sports betting. Good, good. I mean, I, I remember going up to Canada and, you know, I never even realized they had sports betting at the times when we were up there, but we were a lot younger yeah. in Canada. Yeah. So, But uh, they have been pushing for single-event instead of the parlays. Uh, let's see. Moving over to some deals. This is a very interesting deal uh, with FanDuel. Oh, uh, the Associated Press? Yeah, everyone has been complaining about the media, the newspapers, some other sites, always quoting offshore unlicensed books. Mm-hmm. Well, FanDuel paid 
an undisclosed amount to the Associated Press to be their exclusive sports betting provider, odds provider, content provider. Good, good. So, uh, you know, it's going to be kind of... uh, Weird I'm not sure why a lot of media companies did that. They always reported on what the offshore books were saying or doing and things like that. I, I don't know why they were doing that. Because a lot, of, I, I think part of the reason is they're not used to dealing with licensed versus unlicensed. And also a lot of these guys who were writing these things are actually betters at times and you know may have used them and are and are familiar with them. Okay. And yeah. and I I've been going to a couple of the sites and I I've, I've noticed New Jersey's blocking a lot of them. Some of the offshore sites that Oh yeah, yeah. You used yeah. to go, you know, you used to you look at for odds and everything else. And uh it, New Jersey's been cracking down for years oh, on these things. It's getting yeah, more no. and more uh but fan this is a step in the right direction, I think. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's one of those situations where they're no longer going to be quoting X sportsbook site, and it's going to be FanDuel. You're going to see. Um, let me get this right. See, here. that's good for betters in the U.S. because you get the appropriate lines, you get the appropriate analysis. Because FanDuel, you know, I use FanDuel all the time, so I, I'm glad they're providing information to the AP. Well, every link you're going to see in the AP doesn't automatically go to any kind of sign-up pages. Mm-hmm. What they're doing. Which is fine. The information is, is, is good enough for me because right. that's what I want to see. I mean, if I use FanDuel, I would like the the odds and the lines and the analysis from FanDuel, which uh, helps me a lot as a U.S.-based better. Well, FanDuel, uh, Associate Press, in the part of the deal, they said they didn't want to get involved in any direct affiliate relationship with FanDuel, good. which is smart on yeah, that no, part because no, they're I, supposed to be a news source, impartial. But you're going to see a lot of the odds. You're going to see FanDuel widgets across the AP News website. Good. Um, they're going to uh, incorporate the widgets uh, everywhere. They're going to distribute select content across the AP wire, and they're also going to cite the odds. The, one of the interesting parts of the deal is the AP carved out an exception for some of their media company customers. They don't have to have anything with FanDuel. They mm-hmm. can remove FanDuel from the content they use from the AP. Okay. So it's it's not a completely, totally exclusive deal, but it's a deal in terms of, you know, it's great for the AP, it's great for Draft uh, for DraftKings, FanDuel, and, uh, you know, it's a step in the right direction, I think. You know, that's basically it for the book report this week. Well, that'll do it for us this week. I'll see you next time on House of Cards. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.